Welcome back to the Swinging Blindly podcast, talking all things Major League Baseball. I'm Blaze Bryant. My battery, PJ Geary, unfortunately, is dealing with a little bit of a family emergency. I anticipate, and he anticipates being back uh, next week. Facebook.com slash Swinging Blindly podcast on Twitter at Swinging Blindly streaming live on the ColorCast Apple-only app, and it'll be available tomorrow at noon Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you are doing well, as it, frankly, has has been a, a little bit of a weird uh, baseball day. I was just catching some of the Giants-Diamondbacks game in San Francisco, a few minutes before he came over here. Um, and then uh, Arizona was up 3-1. San Francisco showing that they have a little bit of comeback kid streaking them. They tied it up. Uh, so that was really cool to see. So before I shut it off and, and got everything set up here, it was tied at 3. Uh, you have some really interesting uh, streaks right now that are going on and a lot to uh, get into as uh, I'm hoping that I'll be able to uh, bring you the home plate headlines here um, as my my Braille uh, machine here that I read both my computer and phone screens. Uh, it was a little uh, frozen here. Um, okay, uh, so it looks like we uh, have that unthought. Uh, so perfect. So let's get into our home plate headlines for this July 13th. Who's on first? The Toronto Blue Jays fired their manager, Charlie Montoyo. They currently are third in the wild card race with a record of 46 and 42. John Schneider, their bench coach, was promoted to interim manager. What's on second? What's on second? The Seattle Mariners won their ninth straight game. They beat the Washington Nationals in the first game of a doubleheader. Six to four this afternoon down in D.C. It's their longest streak since 2003. Who's on first? Nope. I want to know. What's on second? No. I don't don't know what's on third. Mets Pete Alonso is looking for his third straight home run derby championship, joining him at Dodger Stadium Monday night. It'll be Ronald Acuna Jr., Albert Pujols, Juan Soto, Kyle Schwarber, and Seattle rookie, that would be Julio Rodriguez. As of, I'm just reading this, there's still two spots left. In the field of eight, John Carlos Stanton is rumored. I wonder if Aaron Judge will throw his hat in the ring. I guess we'll have to find out. Stay tuned to MLB.com as they've been providing us with the latest and greatest info on the Home Run Derby. That's your home play headlines for this July 13th on the Swinging Blindly podcast.
Again, this is the Swinging Blindly podcast. Blaze Bryant flying solo. We'll get to your calls as we go along here, and depending on how many, we'll get get in as many of it as uh, we can, and uh, go from there. I want to start off the top with the Blue Jays getting rid of their manager Charlie Montoyo. As I said, the the record is forty six and forty two. Their third. In the wild card, so they would be in the postseason as it stands today. They'd go to Minnesota to take on the Twins, who have the third best record in the American League and lead the Central Division. Of course, Houston leading the West, and of course, the Yankees' best record in all baseball. Only team with 60 wins right now. They have 61. Uh, in spite of their three-game losing streak. But Toronto would be going to Minnesota. They'd be playing in a postseason game, and they decide to get rid of their manager. I get it. Toronto has sucked in July. They have just three wins in the month. And it's July 13th as I'm speaking these words into existence. I get it. It doesn't look good. The two things. A, you're over 500. And B, you have a really good roster who unfortunately is dealing with some injuries. I'm getting the sense that there is something bigger or that whomever decided to make this decision said, we don't have a shot in hell at the division we were supposed to. This is what we thought going into the year. And the reality is, Tampa Bay is second in the American League East, and they're 14 games behind the Yankees. Unless there is an utter collapse, and you would hear me shouting from the rooftops as a Yankee fan, unless there's an utter collapse, Yankees are winning the division. Same with Houston in the West. I mean, I it really just baffles me, this move. Something bigger has to be going on, especially when you consider. And I don't know if there's a correlation here. Last week, Mark Wachinski, who is the first first base coach, well, I believe he still is, he's still with the Blue Jays, but stepped away because, unfortunately, his daughter died in a boating accident. I don't know if there's a correlation here, but it seems to me... I mean, maybe maybe there is something here. I, I don't know. It, is that what was causing? And certainly, how could it not be weighing heavily on the minds of the, of the players? Um, you know, a, a young kid losing their, their life tragically in a boat accident and Charlie Montoya getting fired. Three wins in July. Is, is that something that could be contributing to this? And, and if so, I mean... There's a, there may need to be a broader mental health conversation that needs to be had. I don't know. Um, I, I've not heard anything either way. But, yeah, this is a big one. I mean, the, the Phillies firing Joe Girardi, not a move I understood why they did it when they did, but evidently that has... You know, addition by subtraction, Robbie Thompson's come in, and this team, meaning the Phillies, they've seemed to have a kick in the ass that they needed. Uh, 
Joe Madden getting fired by the Angels. I mean, they had to blame someone. I mean, that, and they're fourth in the American League West, way under 500. So Phil Nevin evidently has not been able to kick the Angels in the ass like Robbie Thompson has been able to do for the Phillies. Well, frankly, because the, the Angels roster has not a lot of talent. They have, on paper, the best player in baseball, Mike Trout. Anthony Rondon, he's not been able to stay healthy. They've dumped so much money into this team, and for them to suck as bad as they do I, is not something I really understand. But if I understood it, maybe I'd be covering them. I think that's the only way you'd be able to understand it is if you covered them. Um, and now and now with uh, Montoyo being out in Toronto, uh, John Schneider promoted to interim manager from bench coach. Headline number two, a lot sunnier, and the Mariners have been sleepless in Seattle and on the road. Well, one of the reasons why Montoya was fired in Toronto is because the Mariners took the brooms to the Blue Jays in a four-game series in the Pacific Northwest at the end of last week. So, Seattle, nine-game win streak, longest since 2003. I mean, that just says how significant this is for the Mariners. This is a team, remember, that has not made the playoffs since 2001. 2001. Can you believe that they never made the playoffs with Ichiro on their roster? I can't believe that. And, I, and I'm saying it to you. I mean, that, that, I mean the Mariners had some... Some good teams on paper, but hey, they couldn't beat the A's and they couldn't beat the Angels because those two teams dominated the division or have dominated divi- the division for the past. Well, I shouldn't say for the past, but they they did for a period of 15 years before the Astros came out from under a rebuild from hell and, well, made things happen. Uh, that's... Something that, hey, you celebrate a nine-game win streak in Seattle, but you have to do more. I mean, that's just the simple reality of it. Um, Now, on that level, at least right now, are the Baltimore Orioles. They are shockingly at 500. I mean, can you believe that? Can you believe that? I, I can't. And sure, they can't either. They have a better record than the Angels. <laughs> Not to pick on the Angels, though I like to. They're doing better. A nine-game win streak. I mean, they're literally right at 500. I mean, how cool. How cool is that? Good for Baltimore. Because yeah, I was just you know, kind of ripping them a little bit uh, last week because of bad ownership and doing nothing for the team. I I, I really don't get it. Um, join me on ColorCast, um, Facebook, or 
Facebook.com slash Swinging Blindly Podcast on Twitter at Swinging Blindly and at Blaze and Takes. That's B-L-A-I-S-I-N Takes on ColorCast. Um, good for Baltimore. Do I think they can keep this up? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, this is a team that right now is really hot and, well, one of the hottest in baseball. But you're not going to be scared to play the Orioles, at least I don't think. And if you end up being scared to play the Orioles, well, hey, uh, what's the kid that they brought up recently? Is Adley Rushman, I believe his name is. Young catcher. He's, and again, I have not seen him play because he really didn't play when the Yankees and Orioles have squared off. So I look forward to, and I need to make it a point to, to catch to catch the Orioles, uh, which is something I never thought I would say in the next three years. I'm saying it on July 13th of 2022. Wow. Weird. Weird, weird, weird. Now I have to talk about my, my Yankees for a second. Uh, as, as they're in a little bit of a funk right now, three-game losing streak, split the series with Boston and Fenway Park. And I know I went out of my way to praise Rob Manfred for the good that he's done in baseball you know, with the 22nd pitch clock that's going to be coming in, getting rid of the overshift, good thing. Three batter rule, also a good thing. And I think this goes next year, and I hope to God it does. This runner on second nonsense is just plain, awkward, dumb, Stupid, nonsensical, abnormal. It does not feel like baseball at all. It does not feel like baseball at all. You have, I mean, starting off with a runner at second. Um, was it? I, I heard Joe Castiglione of the Red Sox call it the zombie man. Uh, John Sterling has called it the Manfred man, the ghost man, the X-man. I mean... Several names for this. And I didn't like it then. PJ didn't like it when it was first introduced. Neither of us did. We don't like it now. And, I mean, a runner at first, I mean, to me, makes more sense. But what what do I know? And I'm not saying that the Yankees lost the game Saturday, which they ultimately did in extra innings, 7-6 uh, to six against the Red Sox. I'm not saying that they lost because of this rule. But what I am saying is that it cheapens the game. Very much so. I mean, I think all things being equal, you eliminate the the man on second in the 10th inning. I think the Yankees do win that game. Of course, you don't know. But the momentum sure as hell felt like it. Red Sox came back because the Yankees... Their bullpen has been downright sensational until this blip, this three-game losing streak. That, unfortunately, falls largely on their shoulders. Um, Clay Holmes has not been himself. Hey, he's been otherworldly. Every reliever, every pitcher goes through a streak like this. Or old as Chapman. I mean, I've seen it with him. That in a game where there's not a lot of urgency, the guy cannot throw strikes. He needs pressure. He needs a sense 
of urgency to throw strikes. I mean, right now, I, I feel like I'd have better command as a blind person than Chapman. Um, that's, that's where we stand with him. And Wandy Peralta, I mean, I, I, I like him, but the simple reality is that he's not quite made for, you know, big time. Um, I appreciate the uh, eight hearts that I am seeing here. Uh, I, you know, I just, I don't know. It's something that I'm at this point not worried about. I mean, I, I, I worry more about Joey Gallo every time he steps up to the plate. I really do. I mean, but then hell, how could you not? Uh, with with the way he's looked at at bat this year, I mean, absolutely paltry for Joey Gallo. Uh, and 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 last night or you know Tuesday night against the Reds. Again, I mean, uh, another, another collapse. Um, anyhow, uh, enough about that. Uh, let's talk about something really cool that happened over the weekend. Uh, Keith Hernandez, who was a great first baseman. There are those who saw him play that feel he was the best defensive first baseman of all time and a darn good hitter to boot. Well, his number was retired by the Mets, and uh, I have not had a chance to look at the color cast uh, chat, so I'm going to play this uh, until we can get a call here on color cast at Blaze and Takes, B L A I S I N Takes. Here's Keith Hernandez's retirement speech from over the weekend at City Field. Uh, I got to bring this up here. Uh, well, try that again. I believe this was an operator error on my part. Uh, let's give it a go now. Uh, the, the audio is not working. Oh, well, uh, not sure what this is about. Uh, all right. A little bit of a technical, uh, issue here. Try one more thing. Cardinals. All right, uh, we got it. Uh, the my my software kind of glitched on me. So here's which one is this? All right, this is uh, this is Keith's speech from City Field. My my software's glitching on me here. I apologize. So we don't have the audio. It was working perfectly fine before. Ah, <laughs> oh, just add to the weirdness of the day here on the Swinging Blindly podcast. I'm going to keep trying. I I, I do have another clip. His Hall of Fame speech when he was inducted in by the St. Louis Cardinals. Keith Hernandez is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Probably should be. Uh, let's see. Do I do we have his uh, Cardinals speech here? Yes. Uh, first of all, I want to thank the Cardinals uh, for having me here, the Cardinal organization, which I have long bonds 
with as a young kid growing up in Pacifica, California. And I want to thank the DeWitts for being so hospitable here. And all the Hall of Famers that came here to share this with me today, as well as congratulations to Tommy and John. I think we all got the same story here. We grew up as kids. Uh, I was fortunate to have a father that played pro ball. Uh, I think you all know the story. Uh, World War II came and my dad uh, joined the Navy and served over in Pearl Harbor for four years. And Stan Musial came along in 1945 and was in the same ship repair unit as my father. They played on the Navy team th uh, that year. And then as a young kid growing up, Stan would leave us, uh, my brother and I, uh, tickets at Candlestick Park. And this was around 61, 62, Stan was on his last leg. Cardinals were ready uh, to win the 1964 World Series against the Yankees. And I got to go in the clubhouse, my brother and I and my father, and sit next to Stan Musial and Ken Boyer. Um, little did I know that those two people would be so important in my career, but it made me a Cardinal fan. And I'm born on the same day as Mickey Mantle, so Mickey Mantle was my favorite player. But in 64, when they played the Cardinals, I was in fourth grade, I think. I rooted for the Cardinals and loved their seven-game win against the Yankees. Uh, and then to be drafted by the Cardinals out of high school was just an absolute dream come true for me. Uh, there were so many other teams that could have drafted me, but fate had it that the Cardinals would, would draft me, and uh, I would go into pro ball at uh, 18 years of age. I was called up in 1974. You have Lou Brock, you have Tim McCarver, you have Bob Gibson, and you have the holdovers from the 1960 great decade of, of Cardinal baseball. And I take... Tim McCarver's spot on the roster. <laughs> that didn't make Bob Gibson very happy. So I was thrown in at 20 years of age with a team that was fighting it out with the Pirates. If you remember, in 74, we lost the last day of the season, or the next to the last day of the season. Bob Gibson at 40, I believe, pitching down the stretch and I'm a young kid just watching and I got a little playing time and Bob Gibson I watched him go 5-0 and in September and just dealing and then the final game that we lost he lost 2-1 to one or 3-2 to two, uh, in Jerry Park in Montreal that sent us home he lost 2-1 to one or 3-2 to two in the 8th inning Mike Jorgensen hit a 2 run home run off him on a very short porch in Jerry Park at Bush Stadium it would have been an out and that was the only game that Bob lost. And so I, am at a very impressionable age, was just thrown into this clubhouse. Ted Simmons was there. And Ted will attest, it was a tough clubhouse. I was the youngest guy there, and I felt like I was a sapling in a forest full of oak trees. And I just didn't feel like I belonged. But I had a few people that were wonderful to me. And one of them's here, too, and I want to recognize him. Ted Sizemore. Your second baseman, Ted, stand up. Yep. 
Uh, Ted is here at my request. He meant so much to me. Ted, you're the best. One very, 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 very important man in my life, and I think you all know it's well documented. And Jackie, you're here. It's Lou Brock. And I'm glad you're here. Lou meant so much to me. I don't think I would have made it without Lou. Uh, for some reason, he must have saw something in me. And he took me under his wing. But it was tough love. If I felt sorry for myself, he'd get in my face. And Lou's so gentle. So he would just get in my face and be stern and say, Get mad at the pitcher. Don't feel sorry for yourself. That pitcher's out there that's going to get you out in the real world and get you away from the game you love. Get mad at him. So I'll never forget that. I learned so many lessons from Lou. And I must say that um, when the time came when the Cardinals hired Whitey Herzog to take over the ball club, we were a team that needed leadership and guidance. We had talent, a lot of young talent, but didn't know what to do with it. And we needed someone to lead us. And Whitey, from day one, the first meeting we had in spring training, set the tone and let it be known that he was in charge. And he really, I don't know if, if we would have turned it around and eventually won the 82 World Series. And I mean this if it wasn't for Whitey. Keith Hernandez, St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame speech. Whitey, he made, me a, he made me a better player. That 82 group was the best group of players I'd ever played with. There was no large egos. Gosh, we had George Hendrick. I mean, Whitey's main job was to keep Joaquin Andohar happy, and that just meant you're going to get the ball the next five days. That's all that Joaquin cared about. And uh, I think Joaquin's career was, was turned around because of Whitey. We had a great infield, we know that. I had Tommy Herr on my right. The greatest shortstop. I have not seen a better shortstop. I think the greatest shortstop in the history of the game, Nazi Smith. And Obi moved over to third base. And then we had uh, William McGee in center. And Lonnie Smith and George in the corner outfield positions. And it was just a great defensive club. Whitey knew with AstroTurf and our big stadium that he had to put together a team with speed and defense and pitching. And we really had a great bullpen. And Whitey was a great uh, engineer. I remember Whitey told me one time, he never thought I'd listen to him, but I did. He said, when the game is early and my pitcher hasn't got it, my starter, and it's 3 nothing, and he's in trouble. If I keep him in the game or I run him out there another inning and he gets in trouble, it could be 6 nothing. then we lose the game. We're out of it. So I made, I, he would make the pitching change. And we had the bullpen for him that, uh, uh, that was just fantastic with Bruce anchoring it or saving the games for us. And, of course, Red Shandy. It's like, how can I forget Red? My first manager. Red didn't talk much, but when Red was fired in 76, we lost over 90 games. And I told Tim, I looked it up in baseball reference, I believe it was the only time the Cardinals had lost over 90 games since like 1914. Red gets fired, and I told Red I was one of the reasons why he got fired. Red went to Oakland to coach for two years, and then Boyer got the job in 79 and brought Red back as a bench coach. Red all of a sudden had this personality. He was talking, 
And I learned more, a lot from Red on the bench. I said, Red, I didn't know you could talk. And he did. I said, why, why didn't you, why wouldn't you talk to us before? And he goes, well, Keith, you know, I like, I don't even leave the players alone, you know. I just run them out there. I write the lineup. I want to leave them alone. I said, well, Red, you, was, you got Gibson, Brock, all those veterans. I, go, I was 20 years old. But anyway, I survived with a lot of help from a lot of people. So I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be a part of this Hall of Fame. This really, I can't tell you. To grow up as a kid in Pacifica, California, being a Cardinal fan, and then wearing the Cardinal uniform, and then being on a world championship team as well, uh, is just, and now the Hall of Fame is just the cherry on top, and I can't thank you enough. And I struggled early in my career. I would not have wanted to struggle early in my career in New York. That would have been rough. You folks, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, you held in there with me, you pulled for me, and that was big because I was very fragile back then, and I thank you for your support. And I'm just glad that we were able to be a part of the Cardinal organization, to be a part of Cardinal history, a part of one of the teams that have won a world championship here in St. Louis. So thank you very much. Keith Hernandez and his... Hall of Fame speech when he was inducted by the St. Louis Cardinals last year here on the Swinging Blindly podcast. Blaze Bryant flying solo. I sure hope to have my battery mate PJ Geary back with me next week as he is unfortunately dealing with a family emergency. Facebook.com slash Swinging Blindly podcast on Twitter at Swinging Blindly and streaming live on the ColorCast Apple app. Um, just to talk about that speech a little bit from Keith Hernandez, it was, I think, a he who pretty much said uh, when, because the Cardinals were down three games to one in that 82 World Series, and it was Keith, I believe, from different things that I heard, that pretty much rallied the troops, and, well, they came back and won that 82 World Series. And less than a year later, he was traded to the Mets. I couldn't imagine what that was like for Keith, going from a World Series champion to a last-place team in the Mets in 83, at least in that point. It was June of 83. Uh, and and Keith will hear Keith talk more about that in a second, um, and and pretty much brought the Mets back into relevancy. Of course, he didn't do it single handedly. No team has success single handedly, at least in my opinion. Uh, and actually, here we go because uh, I fixed the the technical problem while we were playing Keith's speech from St. Louis. This is his retirement speech from over the weekend at City Field. Should I step out of the box? You guys are great. I am so honored here. And I think it's just appropriate that I give my special thanks to the New York Met organization and the Met personnel that put this event together. 
I think I want to really want to especially thank Gabrielle Jasper, Lorraine Hamilton, and Jay Horowitz. Jay's been here forever. A special thanks to Stephen Alex Cohen. His generosity, flying everybody in, is just above and beyond. And I thank you so much. And I want to thank the committee that voted me into this retirement of my number. It is such a great honor. It is the biggest honor that can be bestowed on a player by the organization. And I've been here for almost 40 years. My brother was introduced earlier, Gary. You had a lot to be grateful, you Met fans, for this man right here. This game is full of ups and downs. We're fragile. He was always my good luck charm. And Gary, I love you. I'm so glad you're here, along with the rest of everybody. My girls, my grandson, all of them. Well, June 15, 1983, I've learned and read that it was a joyous day in Met Nation. Little old me in St. Louis wasn't very happy. What did I know? A life and career-changing event, I cannot tell you. I remember Frank Cashin talking to me on the phone, our first conversation, saying, welcome to the Mets. We have not squandered our draft picks, and we feel we're ready to turn the corner. I was disbelieving. The last place Mets for the last seven years. But when I went to spring training in 84 and I saw the group of talented athletes, all young, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, looking up at me, I knew we had something special. And we did. I also realized that as I came over as a veteran and from a world championship team, that there was a responsibility that went along with just being a player and being a teammate. I realized that I had to set an example 
of how I conducted myself on and off the field. And I embrace that. I have a lot to be grateful for to Lou Brock. We always make fun of Lou Brock up in the booth. But Lou really groomed me for a leadership role in the latter parts of his career for the Cardinals. Well, I brought all that knowledge with me to New York and Flushing. All these young guys, Daryl, Doc, Ron, Walt, Ed, Mookie, Roger, Fitzy, and Jesse, they rejuvenated my career. I was a little listless at this stage of my life, in my career, having won the final brass ring a World Series championship in St. Louis. I needed another goal, and I came here, and these young guys inspired me and rejuvenated my career. Keith Hernandez, New York Mets retirement speech. I never dreamed that we would turn it around so quickly, and I say we. It's a team. I always felt myself as just a player, one of 25. No special, nothing special about me. Just one of the guys and then having a great time and working hard and working hard for a championship. And we did! In three years, 108 wins. And then we felt, since we won by over 20 games, we thought we'd make it a little interesting for our fans and have a hard time in Houston and against Boston. This is just a great moment for me. Um, I never dreamed I would be this long in the organization. Um, 17 years in the booth with Ron and Gary. Our French... Our friendship and camaraderie mean so much to me. And those in the truck, our unseen team behind us, it's just a very special thing. New York has been great to me. The Mets have been great to me. New York has been great to my children. They got to come to Manhattan and take in the culture of New York, everything New York has to happen. I will say one more word, a couple more words. This current team, I love to watch. You're you're on top of it. This team comes out and hustles. They play hard and comport themselves like professionals. It is a treat. 
And you should give your support to this team like you gave us in the 80s. I must mention my mom and dad, who have grown my brother and I. Everything was for us. I remember living paycheck to paycheck, but we had the best spikes, the best gloves, the best bats, and in football, the best spikes, in basketball, the best basketball. And they sacrificed everything for us. And my father taught us how to play. And I can forever grateful. And I know they're up there watching. I'm done, now hold on. I am absolutely humble and proud that my number will be up in the rafters for eternity, along with Casey, Gil, Tom, Mike, and Jerry. 60 years of New York Mets. I thank you all. I am truly overwhelmed. Keith Hernandez, in his number 17 retirement speech over the weekend, joining Gil Hodges, Casey Stengel, Tom Seaver, Mike Piazza, and Jerry Kuzma, as the sixth New York Met number to be retired. And I know, as a Yankee fan, people expect me to be critical of the Mets. It has been pretty easy to be critical of the Mets because they have not had a lot of success, with the exception of, you know, with the exception of a couple of glimmers with the Wilpons. But the Mets have always done one thing right. I mean, I shouldn't say they've only done one thing right that did not come out of my mouth the way I intended it to. One thing the Mets have done right is be very intentional about whose number is retired and whose is not. One thing the Yankees do overzealously is retire numbers. To me, I mean, the, the way I've always seen it is you have to be in some sort of Hall of Fame in order for a number to be retired. I mean, the Yankees have plenty of people whose numbers are retired that, frankly, you know, never belonged in that conversation. Um, I believe Roger Maris's numbers retired. Aside from hitting 61 home runs, he didn't do jack for his career. Ended up with, I want to say, 275 homers total. So that 61 season was an outlier. Um, I mean, but then, of course, you have the Don Mattingly's of the world who, yeah, I mean, had he been able to stay healthier, he would have had a longer career and thus been in the Hall of Fame, but you certainly could make a case for him. Um, it's, I mean, that's just my feeling. What, what say you? 
Facebook.com slash Swinging Blindly Podcast. On Twitter at Swinging Blindly. A few more minutes here on the live ColorCast stream here. It's an Apple app only. Um, so that's that's where we stand. I was looking at the standings earlier, and I was completely amazed by this. And this is another problem baseball has. Half the teams, half, 15 out of 30, are either 500 or below. The Baltimore Orioles are an even 44 and 44, 500, which, again, it's a shock that they're this good. Um, granted, they're on a nine-game winning streak and playing really damn well. You have the Cleveland Guardians in the, in the Central. You have the Cleveland Guardians at 500. You have the White Sox, Royals, and Tigers all under 500. White Sox by three games under... Detroit and Kansas City, eh, don't even talk about it. That's that's that situation. You look at the American League West. You have just Houston and Seattle above 500. The Rangers in third place. Angels and A's all under 500 somewhat significantly. I mean, the A's have barely won a third of their games. I, I've beaten that dead horse last week. You look at the National League East. Uh, you know, pretty close race between the Mets and the Braves. Mets two and a half up. They helped themselves today by beating the Braves seven to three. Phillies, they're seven and a half back, but still over 500. So you just have Miami and the Nationals. Miami's something like four out of a wild card right now, and they're under 500. Again, I mean, it, it, it cheapens the product. Another baseball problem. It's regional, and the product seems to be cheapened more and more. Hopefully that changes with some of these implementations next year. Um, let's see. You look at the Central. It's just the Brewers who lost in walk-off fashion to the Twins today, 4-1, to one, and the St. Louis Cardinals. Everyone else way under. Pittsburgh, Chicago, Cincinnati. Ugh, gosh. Doesn't smell like teen spirit, that's for sure. And then the West. You know, you have the Dodgers reigning supreme. The Giants, they did come back and beat the Twin, or I'm sorry, the Diamondbacks 4-3. to three. Diamondbacks, I mean, well, that's, that's just it. You know, Giants are over 500. Diamondbacks are not. So... Diamondbacks and the Rockies are well under 500. I mean, 15 of the 30 teams. And you look at it. Miami, Chicago, the White Sox, that is. Um, You know, Texas. I mean, they're right in it for a wild card. Uh, What? I don't get it. I mean, obviously you count out you can count out the, or I mean, Cleveland, Baltimore. I mean, they're right in it too. Obviously, you can count out the A's. You can count out the Tigers and Royals. Angels probably as well in the American League. Um, and, and, and everyone else, you know, still kind of in it. 
albeit long shots for a team like Texas. But hey, I mean, Seattle woke up from practically the dead and rattled off nine in a row. So as John Sterling says, and it's accurate, and people kill him for it, but he's right. How can you predict baseball, Susan? It's so true. And then you look at the National League. Obviously, you can eliminate Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, the Cubs, the Nationals, Rockies, and Diamondbacks. You can bat those six teams off. Miami is, is you know, they're in the conversation. I mean, that's the, I mean, the one thing that this does is it makes the last month of the season important, I guess. I mean, because it's the third wild card, yeah, I'll be tuning in, but that doesn't mean that I don't think the product is cheap. And A, I do a podcast, you know, I do this podcast once a week. So, of course, I got to be glued into it. And I want to be glued into it because baseball is my favorite sport. With that being said, I mean, you cannot help but acknowledge that the product has cheapened. And, I mean, at least baseball is not like the NBA and the NHL where over half your damn league makes the playoffs. I mean, come on. What kind of nonsense is that? And it's been that way for some time. Again, it cheapens the product. It lengthens the postseason. And then you just have seasons. I'm sorry. Hockey should not be going into the summertime. Baseball should not go on beyond Halloween. Basketball, that should end by summer as well. I'm sorry. And and, and the NFL, I mean... I'm, that season's starting to run long, too. Vey. But what do I know? I'm just a fan like you. Uh, let's see here. Not looking like a lot of action here on ColorCast. Nope. Uh, so I'm just going to put a bow on the show by, uh, you know, keep spreading the word about the uh, Swinging Blindly podcast. I anticipate, like I said, PJ being back with me next week. Facebook.com slash Swinging Blindly podcast on Twitter at Swinging Blindly. And well, <laughs> if you look at the color cast numbers, uh, it's been Zippo last week. It was Zippo last week and Zippo this week. So clearly I'm swinging really blindly and missing. Uh, that just means you can't get any worse, I guess. So. You know, you can sum this show up in just a few notes. I'm just having a little fun at this point. Uh, thank you so much. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, available pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. PJ and I will be back next week. We'll recap the Home Run Derby, All-Star Game, and much more. I'm Blaze Bryant for the Swinging Blindly Podcast.